Tonight we're closing out a series called Let's Talk, Let's Talk. And this series is all about answering the big questions of faith, answering the big questions, um, the tough questions about um, God and about what we believe as Christians um, and in the first two weeks, we looked at the questions, does God exist? Does God exist? Um, and in last week, we looked at the question, um, if, uh, or we looked at the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And so we've had a great time talking about those two, um, two questions in the past couple of weeks. But tonight, we have a different type of question. Um, because this week, it's not really about proving something. We're not going to look at scientific evidence. We're not going to look at historical evidence or documents or anything like that. Tonight's more of like a, a philosophical kind of question. It's more um, trying to think about something that's very difficult and, and figure out a new perspective, a new way of looking at it. And, and so um, we're just going to try to kind of alter our perspective a little bit tonight as we look at what God has to say about this question. And this question is, if God is loving, if God is loving, if God is loving, why doesn't everyone get saved? If God is loving, why doesn't everyone get saved? This is the age-old question. It's been asked for, for thousands of years, um, especially um, ever since Jesus came to earth. People have been asking this question. Um, Christians ask it and non-Christians ask it. And, and the reason why this issue is so difficult, this question is so difficult for us to understand, is because we all know people who don't know Jesus, right? We all know people that, um, according to Scripture, would, uh, would not spend eternity with God, would spend eternity uh, apart from God. I would spend eternity in the place that we call hell. And, and eternity is forever. Like, it's a, it's a long thing. So, so it's not just like, it, it's, a, it's a very, um, it's a scary idea that forever something is going to happen. Um, the idea of judgment is scary. Like, the idea of someone being um, um, told that they are going to spend an eternity in one place or the other, it's a scary thing. And, and quite honestly, we just don't like the idea of hell. Uh, we, we see it in movies. We, we hear about it in stories. Uh, we, we've read about it in school and, and, and just talked about it with people. And it's just a scary, scary thing. Um, and it's just a difficult question. And, and, and so as we talk about it tonight, I just want to invite you to, um, to open your mind a little bit to open kind of what you think, to maybe drop um, kind of some of the preconceived notions you have and, and give, um, give us an opportunity to kind of discuss it. Um, and I think that you're going to really, um, really find some things that are, uh, that, are, that are very helpful for you with this question. Um, we're going to pray first, and it's an important thing to pray for a message like this because, again, it's difficult, it's hard to hear, um, and, and it strikes each of our hearts in, in a very personal way. So let's pray together and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we love you. I pray that um, tonight that your grace will be felt in this room, that as we talk about something uh, difficult and, and, and scary and hard, Lord, um, that you will uh, just be present in this room, that no matter who's in this room, no matter what our background is, that you will uh, speak to us um, in a very gentle, kind way, because that's the kind of God you are. Um, and I pray that we will, uh, we will be open to what you have to say to us tonight and, and be focused on what you have to say um, and not worry about anything that's going on today, whatever is going on tomorrow, not even worry about Epworth yet, but that we would just be present in this moment. We ask all these things in your name. Everybody said, amen. amen, amen. So if God is loving, why doesn't everyone get saved? First, we're going to break down this first part of the question, if God is loving. And I'm going to ask you another question. What do we mean by loving? What do we mean 
by loving. And if you have uh, notes, you can go ahead and fill those out. If you want some notes, just put your hand up. If you didn't get one, we'll have someone come around and, and give, you, give you some notes. But um, what do we mean by loving? Because we always say this, well, if God's loving, then, then of course everyone should get saved. But what do we mean by loving? What do we mean by loving? Well, we'll, we'll equate loving, a lot of us equate loving with acceptance. See, if God is loving, then he will accept all people, which, by the way, he does. And we're going to get back to that later, but he does accept all people. Whether we can understand it or not, he does accept all people. But, but let's, let's dive deeper into this question. What do we mean by loving? Here's what we have to, to ask. Should God accept everything? Should he accept all kinds of behaviors? Should a loving God accept behaviors that are unloving? Let's use an example. Should a loving God, and this is just a rhetorical question, should a loving God accept an action like murder? Should he accept that someone can just go and just because they feel like it, shoot someone in the head and say, well, you know, I just that's what I wanted to do. Should, should a, would a loving God accept that? I think we would all agree, no. No, why would a loving God, if he's loving, he wouldn't accept a behavior like murder. And there are many more that he would not Except, so, so I think we've established that there are certain things that a loving God would not accept and a loving God should not accept. A loving God wouldn't just accept any behavior. And so if we say loving equals acceptance of all things, then it, it takes us down a bad road. So, so a loving God would not just accept any behavior. Well, let's keep asking some questions about what do we mean by loving. Is it loving to allow someone to do what they want whenever they want? What would you say about a parent? And we've all seen these parents before. No judgment, but we've all seen these parents before. You walk through, through Publix, you walk through Walmart, and, and, and you hear the kid from like four aisles away. You hear the kid screaming, and you're like, oh, boy, this is trouble. I'm just going to try to get out of here. But, but then you hear the parents say, okay, okay, honey, whatever you want. And if we go down this road, what do we get? A parent that always gives their child what they want is setting a very dangerous precedent because kids want some crazy, 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 crazy things. See, what would you say about a, child, a parent who says, sure, eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Oh, Halloween, eat it all. It's all good. Just eat candy the rest of your life. You don't have to eat anything healthy. It's no, no oh, you want that for dinner? Okay, you can have that for dinner. You don't want to eat? No problem. You don't want me to um, change your diaper? Okay, I won't do it. You don't want to change your clothes for a week? No problem. You want to run out into the road? Go ahead, see what happens. What would we say about a parent like this? What would we say about a parent like this? We would say that they are unloving. That they, that they maybe they love their kid, but they maybe just don't understand what loving is. Because, because a loving parent wouldn't allow their child to do whatever they want, would they? They, they would want to discipline them. They'd want them to grow healthy so they'd make them eat certain things. They, they would want them to, to, to be um, educated so they'd make them go to school. They would want them to, to know how to, ha- how to work so they'd give them chores and they'd, they'd give them responsibility. But if they never tried to uh, improve their child or discipline their child or control their child, we would say what? It doesn't seem like they love their child very much. Proverbs 3 verses 11 and 12 say this. This is a book all about wisdom. And so in this book, we have this piece of wisdom in in 11 verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline 
Don't despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, his rebuke or his, his teaching or his, um, his, his correction. Don't, don't resent that because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So just like a father that loves his child, he disciplines him. So does our heavenly father discipline us. So what do we mean by loving? Well, well, what we've kind of come to the conclusion of is this. It makes sense that a loving God would reject unloving behavior, right? Like murder and abuse and, and, and violence and, and hatred. He would reject unloving behavior and he would give guidelines to help us love better, which he has done. We, we, we know that because um, of the Ten Commandments. We know that because of what Jesus said, love God, love people. He has given us guidelines to help us love better. That is what loving is. Loving isn't just, oh, do whatever you want. I'll accept anything. It, it, it comes with some, some teaching, some discipline, some correction. So it makes sense that a loving God would reject unloving behavior and give guidelines to help us love better. Now, we've, we've kind of dealt with the loving issue. Now let's just deal with the, the, really the problem behind the whole question. Here's, here's what we have to look at. And these are two church words. I'll explain what they are in a second, but you can just stick with me for a second. The holiness of God. We've got to look at the holiness of God versus the sin of humanity. The holiness of God versus the sin of humanity. So let's start with holiness. You've heard this word before, and it's kind of hard to describe. Um, part of it is like, it's like kind of like perfection, like, like blameless, like never messes up. And so that's part of it, but that's not... All of it. See, holiness is the defining characteristic of God. In Isaiah 6, 3, it says that, that the angels are, are chanting over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. And it repeats it three times for, for a reason. See, in the, in the original language, when it would repeat something three times, it was like, it was an extra emphasis. It's not just saying it over and over again. It's like this, this, this extra emphasis on the word. And, and what it doesn't say in the Bible ever is that God is love, 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 or justice, 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 or grace, grace, grace. He is all of those things. But his defining characteristic is holiness, holiness. Holiness is the defining characteristic of God. And again, it's more than just perfection. Here's what it is. Holiness means that God is set apart and above all other things. Holiness means that God is set apart and above all other things. So not only is he perfect, that, that's part of holiness and blameless, but it's, it's that God is set apart, that nothing is, um, nothing is equal with God. It, he's set above and beyond any other creation, any other thing, any other person, above the angels, above, above everything, he is set apart. This is what holiness is. We're talking about the holiness of God, and then we have to look at the sin of humanity. See, sin, very simply, is the things that separate us from God. The things that go against God. The unloving actions that we do every single day. And so we've got this holy God that's set apart, that's set beyond all things, that's perfect, that's blameless. And we have humans that are sinful. We mess up, we're selfish, we're prideful, we do what we want when we want to do it. 
and we are separated from God. And so not only is God set apart from us already, but sin is a further, um, a further division between us and God. And, and here's the next point. Sin and holiness do not mix. Sin and holiness do not mix. It's kind of like oil and water. If I were to pour oil into this water, it might look like it mixes at first. But eventually what we see is that it cannot mix. Those two things are apart from each other. And it's the same thing with God, is that his holiness cannot mix with sin. And yet, what is the problem? We sin constantly. We mess up constantly. And we can't be in God's presence unless our sin is gone. See, holiness and sin, God and sin, don't mix. And furthermore, furthermore, sin doesn't like holiness. Not only does God and his holiness not like sin, but sin doesn't like holiness. Here's an example of that. When you invite a friend, or maybe it was you before, or when you've done something uh, that you think is really bad, or you invite a friend that's not a Christian and they feel like they're bad or whatever, they come into church and a lot of times they say, man, it makes me feel so guilty. It makes me feel so guilty. Why is that? The Bible says God doesn't give guilt. Actually, Satan gives guilt. But the reason why we feel guilt is because sin is uncomfortable around God. Sin is uncomfortable around authority. Sin is uncomfortable around holiness. It's the same kind of idea as like um, a criminal is uncomfortable around a police officer. When you cheat on a test, you're uncomfortable when the teacher comes and looks over your shoulder. Why? Because you've done something wrong and it makes you uncomfortable to be in the presence of the person who would not allow that kind of activity. And so the holiness of God versus the sin of humanity is the problem, and they cannot mix. And here's what that leads to, that justice is required. Justice is required. What is justice? Justice is like when we're in a court of law and someone's done something wrong and they get a punishment for what they did. That is justice. We say, man, we want justice. And in our culture... In our culture, when it comes to God in, in America um, and in kind of the Western civilization, in our culture, we love grace. Again, we're like, come on, Jesus, give me the forgiveness, give me the grace. I love what you're saying with that. This is great. But then when we hear something about justice, we're like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah, you can forgive me, but I don't want to be held accountable for my, for my mess-ups, for my sins. I, I, I'm way too messed up. Man, I, I don't want the justice part. We, we push back against Justice, And the interesting thing about this is that that's very much a cultural thing. There are other cultures, Africa, Asia, uh, uh, different types of, uh, of, of cultures where they think justice of God is great because that's part of their culture. They're like, man, we want justice. You should get what you deserve. You should get the things that, you, um, that, that are coming to you for what you have done. But then when you tell certain cultures about grace and turning the other cheek and forgiveness, they like spit at that. They're like, that, what? Turn the other cheek? Give someone grace. Yeah, but they did this, but they did this, and that's offensive to them. And so really it's more of a kind of a Western thought or an American thought to think that justice from God is somehow offensive. But, But here's the thing about justice. We think we don't like justice, but the truth is we love justice. We love justice. Imagine, again, I'm going to use a very uh, kind of brutal example just because it kind of helps you think of it. But imagine someone kills your parent. They just come in and they shoot your parent. Do we react like this? Hey, man, I see what you did there. Don't really love it, but you just go, hey, yeah, 
take the weapon too. You're not going to want to get caught with that. Throw it in the ocean or something. I'll clean this up. I'll, don't, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. You go. I don't want you to get in trouble or anything. No, no, that's not how we would react. That's crazy. We would want justice. We would want that person to stand in a court of law and be sentenced to life in prison or, or whatever, whatever else comes along with, with murder. Um, and, and we would say, man, you should be held accountable. You should have justice. If you're playing a, a high school sport and the other team cheats and the uh, referee doesn't catch it, what do you want? You're screaming for justice. Man, no, 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 they were out of bounds. No, they, they, there was a handball. No, they, they, they cheated or it was a foul or whatever. And we are crying out for justice. See, we love justice. We just don't like when we're held accountable. We just don't like when justice is put on us. We just don't like to hear that there is a God who is going to hold us accountable. But, but here's the question. If we like justice in the world for the things that people do wrong, why would we not think we should have accountability for our sins, especially against a holy and righteous judge? And, and, and by the way, do we ever say the judge is unfair or, or that the judge is evil because they hand down a sentence? Usually not. Because the judge's job is to have an unbiased opinion and to look at all the facts of the case and along with the jury, figure out what the just punishment is on the person that did something wrong. That, that's, that's the judge's job, to, to make sure justice is carried out. And we don't say, man, you're evil because justice was carried out. But some reason, for some reason, we look at God and we say, well, God's evil. He's not loving because of justice. Like, and, and, we, and we somehow just push back against this idea. And just kind of as a side note for all of those, in, of those of you who are in this room that call yourself a Christian, we have to understand, this, this is kind of just, again, a side item from the sermon, but listen, we have to understand that ju- God's job is to judge and not ours. See, we, we make a large mistake when we decide we need to hold people accountable for their sins. We need to hold people accountable or the world accountable for what it has done wrong. See, that doesn't really work. There's a place for accountability within the church, but it doesn't work to hold the world that doesn't believe in Jesus accountable. That is God's job. We are called to love and share the love and grace of Jesus. It's not our job to judge. And people have enough of a problem with God judging. It's certainly not our place to judge. Here's here's kind of what we come to when we talk about holiness versus sin, and we talk about justice is required. Here is kind of the, 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 the truth that we come to. All people need grace to cover our sin and enter God's presence. All people need grace to cover our sin and enter God's presence. Again, we cannot mix with God unless there is grace, unless there is forgiveness, unless there is something to bring us back together, something to address the justice issue, some way for us to be held accountable for our sin, for our, our mess-ups. And so, and so we, we've looked at what it means to be loving, We've looked at the reason why this question is important because of justice and because of holiness and because of sin. Now we have to look at the second part of the question. Why doesn't everyone get saved? And when we ask that question, what we're really asking is, well, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? And so that's the next place we are going to look. What is heaven? What is hell? What is heaven? And what is hell? 
Let's start with heaven. Heaven, a lot of times we think, oh, well, it's like clouds and care bears and little like babies and their diapers and they're flying. They somehow have wings, which is like the creepiest thing. Like if I don't want to go to heaven, if there's going to be babies with wings in diapers, I've seen way too many diapers in the past few months and they're nasty. Okay. So like, we don't want that in heaven. That's not, that's not a heavenly thing. But we think of this and we're like, oh, wow, like, and there's like this light, but it's not really that bright. And like people are looking down, they're sitting on clouds, which is not possible. And, and they're just kind of like looking down and like, and, and like looking around and shooting these little love arrows. And it's like, that's like what we think about. It's weird. Like who wants to go to heaven if that's what heaven is? Heaven, heaven biblically is this. It is an eternity in God's presence. So eternity means forever. Eternity in God's presence where there is no sin and everything is about him. Everything is about God. Eternity in God's presence where there is no sin and everything is about him. So what is hell? What is hell? Again, when we think of hell, we think of darkness. We think of fire. We think of heat. We think of lava. We think of uh, pitchforks. We think of little like, like horns and like, and like people just getting prodded. And like, it's just like a terrible, terrible scene. Here is what hell is biblically. Hell is an eternity apart from God. So heaven was an eternity in God's presence, face to face with God, Hell is an eternity apart from God, where everything is about us, me. Everything's about me. Not about God. It's about me. It's about you. Everything is about us. And we continue to suffer from our self-centeredness and sin. It's an eternity apart from God, where everything is about us, and we continue to suffer from our self-centeredness and sin. It is the exact opposite of heaven. Now, we see, we see a little bit of hell on earth. And we see it with like addictions. And some of you uh, have experienced addiction. Some of you have friends or family members, parents that have experienced addictions. And it may be, um, there, there's a whole host of things. It may be drugs, alcohol, um, gambling, pornography, sex, whatever it is. But we, 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 we've dealt a lot and we've seen addiction in this, in this world. And here's what we see with addiction. Somebody becomes addicted to a substance or, or a thing and they feel like they cannot live without it. They cannot go on without it. I must have this in order to be happy. And what happens? They get it, and then they want more. And then they want more. And then they want more. And what they had before isn't enough. And so they get into this situation where they constantly are wanting more and more. And it destroys their finances. It destroys their, their relationships. They lose friendships and families. They, they hurt their body. They, they mess up. Um, they, they lose so much. They'll lose jobs. They lose, like, everything for this addiction. And then they deal with the regret and guilt and shame. Sometimes they go to prison because of their addictions. This is kind of like hell, except on a small scale. That's like, like hell is like that, but for the rest of time. And there is no recovery, and there is no Alcoholics Anonymous, and there is no, no, no fixing the issue. It's just an eternal version of that addiction. We continually are trying to get more and more and more and more and more. And we're trying to, we think, oh, that, that thing's going to make me happy. The next thing's going to make me happy. Next time it's going to make me happy. The next high, the next encounter, the next situation, the next relationship, that will make me happy. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, and, and in a way, we continue to just dig this pit. Oh, maybe the next thing, we take another shovel full, take another shovel full, take another shovel full. And all of a sudden we look down or we look up and we are in this huge pit of darkness and loneliness. Because of what? Because of what we have done. Because we have continually chased after something which cannot fulfill us. That is what hell is like. This is what C.S. Lewis says, and we've, we've been quoting him a lot in this series. Here's what he says. He says, it's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing. That something is sin, and we've talked about sin. There is something growing which will be hell 
unless it is nipped in the bud, unless it is stopped. So there's something in us. This sin is eventually going to turn into our own personal hell if we don't deal with it. So this takes us to to really um, kind of the crux of the entire question. The crux of the entire question. Why doesn't everyone get saved? Why does God send people to hell? Here it is. We don't get sent to hell. We choose hell. We don't get sent to hell. We choose hell. Here's how we picture this whole thing working out. There's a God up there. Got a long beard. He's wearing all white. He's kind of looking down on us, kind of judging us. We're doing a bunch of bad stuff. We're like little ants, like just crawling around, just doing bad things. And then we die. And then we go up before God. And he says, you were bad. You're going to hell. And then we're like, no, please, God, please give me another chance. And we're like screaming, please, please, please let us come back to heaven. Let us come. We want to be a part of this. Ah. We're like, and we're just going down in this deep hole. Ah. Like that's how we picture this whole thing working out. But the reality is far different than that. See, again, it's like heaven and hell. We picture something, but that's not really what the Bible says about those things. And, 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 and this whole idea of God um, sending us to hell is... is it's not really accurate. See, C.S. Lewis uh, kind of says something about this as well. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. So in other words, it's all about you. Whatever you want, God, I'm your servant. I'm going to follow you. Those would be what we would call the Christians, the people who have surrendered to God. And there are those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. In other words, there are those who God says, okay, go where you want. Do what you want to do. He continues, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy or God will ever miss it. Those who seek, find, he quotes the scripture, and those who knock, it is opened. Here's, here's, here's kind of the point. And some of you are like, I don't really get this whole thing. What does he mean we choose hell? Nobody would choose hell. Here's, here's the deal. Why? Okay, let's just think of this, this one guy. Why would we have this human being who constantly rejects God, who says, I don't want what you have to offer. I don't want to follow you. I want to do things my own way. I want to follow after kind of my own heart. I want to, uh, I want to do with my body what I want. I want to do with that person what I want. I want to be in this relationship when I want. I want to break the rules. I want to do my own thing. I have no God in my life. I am the God of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it forever. I don't want to deal with God. I don't want to deal with the Bible. I don't want to deal with church. I want to do what I want to do. Why at the end of that person's life would that person want to go to heaven? Why? We assume that they're saying, please God, let me in, but that's not the reality. The people that go to hell are choosing it and they're glad. The people that go to hell are saying, God, I don't want your way of life. There is no sequence of events where where God says, uh, you were bad, you need to go to hell. And people are like, oh, no, I don't want to go to hell. Oh, man, this is terrible. That doesn't happen. See, they, they go to hell willingly. See, why would that person who spent their whole life going against God and doing their own thing, their own way, want to spend eternity worshiping God? Why would they want to spend eternity doing what God wants to do? Why would they want to spend eternity in a place where there is no sin? That's what they lived for. That's what they wanted. No, no. They want what they did on earth. They just want to continue down the path of doing what they want to do, when they want to do it, being the God of their own lives. 
living for themselves, being self-centered, finding the next high, finding the next party, finding the next relationship, finding the next sin, being selfish, being prideful, being egotistical, being greedy. That's what they want. In fact, a lot of people would say, man, that sounds great, man. I want to pursue those things for the rest of eternity. See, they choose hell because that's what they choose their entire life. And why would they want anything differently? And some of us would say, well, why doesn't God just force us? Well, loving, a loving God would not force someone to do what they don't want to do, would they? He wouldn't say, you have, that would be a dictatorship. We don't look at a dictator that makes people bow down to them, that makes people do what they want to do, that, that whips them into shape. We don't say that that's loving. We say that's, that, that's unfair. That's, that's injustice. They shouldn't be able to do that. They shouldn't make people do what they don't want to do. That's like slavery. And we would all say, but that's not loving. That, that's, that's a terrible, terrible thing. And so God forcing us to do what we don't, want to do would would not be loving. No, instead, we choose the direction we want to go. Paul talks about this in in Romans chapter 1. And in verses 24 and 25, he, he kind of explains this. He's talking about humans and being sinful and kind of going their own direction. Here's what he says. It says, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Here's what he's saying. Don't, don't focus so much on the sex part. Just focus on the part that he gave them over to the desires of their heart. Here's what God says. You want to pursue sin? Okay. You want to go your own direction? Man, I, man, I want you to do what I've called you to do. I'm going to try to pull you in. I'm going to try to give you my word. I'm going to try to love you back to me. I'm going to try to show you myself. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you just want to go the direction you want to go, okay, thy will be done. And we go and we do what we want. That's what Paul's talking about here. 2,000 years ago, he wrote this. What we're talking about tonight, what's still true about us tonight, he wrote 2,000 years ago. He said, God gave them over to their sinful desires. And then he continues. It says, they exchanged the truth about God. The truth being that he loves us, that he's for us, that he cares about us, that he wants to give us grace and forgiveness. They exchanged that for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things, sin, stuff, other humans, they worshiped those things rather than the creator. Here's what Paul's saying. Because God is loving, he allows us to choose. Because God is loving, he allows us to choose. Now, so let's go back to the beginning. Remember, remember I, said, um, I said that he does accept all people? I want to get back to that point as we kind of finish out tonight. We have to ask, does God accept all people? Does he want everyone to be saved? Let's, let's go to um, John 3.16. It's the most famous verse. We all know it. It says, for God so loved the world. The world. Not, not the Christians. Not, not the good people. Not the people that had gotten their stuff together. He so loved the world. That, that, there's another part. That whosoever believes or chooses him will not perish, but have everlasting Life. And in other parts of scripture, it says that God is willing that none should perish. So when we ask this question, uh, can everybody be saved? Is everybody accepted? Here's the truth. Jesus died for all people, whether they would follow him or not. Jesus died for all people, whether they would follow 
him or not. Think about how crazy this is. That Jesus went to the cross and died for a person that would say to him, I don't want it. He died for their sins, even if they would never believe in him, even if they would curse his name, even if they would run away from him their entire life. He would still die for that person, knowing that they would never believe in him, knowing that they would choose hell instead of him, knowing that they wanted the world and themselves more than him. See, Christianity is, is centered around the idea that everybody is welcome, everybody is invited, everyone has the opportunity, and that we don't have to do anything to earn it. We don't have to be better. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to do anything. It's just that we must surrender to him. It's actually the most open-ended religion in the world. It's not set for one culture or one type of person or in one area of the world. It's not dependent on what we do. It's dependent on what God did. And many people will say, it's not fair that people go to hell. It's not fair that God doesn't just save everybody, that God doesn't just look the other way. That's not fair. As my youth pastor used to tell me, we don't want fair. We don't want fair. Because if we had fairness, every single person for the entire existence of the universe would go to hell because we've all sinned, because we're separated from God, because God is holy. See, we don't want fair. We want grace. And it wouldn't be loving for God to just look the other way. That wouldn't be loving. It wouldn't be loving for God to say, everybody can come no matter what. What would be loving is that he sacrificed himself for people who would never, ever decide to follow him. I want to close with this. The choice of a human to walk away from a loving God doesn't make God unloving. The choice of a human, I want you to think about this. The choice of a human to walk away from a loving God doesn't make God unloving. I want you to imagine for a second you had a friend. Imagine you had a friend who had great parents. Their parents loved each other. Um, they were together, and this isn't a perfect family. This is just a family that, that things are, are full of love. They weren't necessarily rich, but they had all their needs taken care of. They have a, they have a home. They have food. Um, they have clothes. They go on vacation together. They have discipline. Their parents um, ask them to do certain things so that the, so that the students or, or the children will become better people, will become uh, responsible, regular, normal adults. They teach them right from wrong. They have rules, but, but they're loving. They're full of grace. They're full of forgiveness. And those rules are only there to protect the children and make life for them better. Now imagine, imagine they said, I'm done with this. I'm done with the curfew. I'm done with, with not being able to put whatever I want in my body. I'm done with having to go to school. I'm done with all this junk. I'm just done with it. I am leaving. I'm done with you. I'm done with you, mom. I'm done with you, dad we're done here. I'm leaving. I'm running away. What would we say? Would we say, man, those parents are unloving. Gosh, man, I can't believe those parents. No. And we'd say, that, that child's making a really stupid choice. Man, why are they doing that? Well, what are they running away from? We wouldn't call the parents unloving, would we? Because someone ran away from a loving situation? No. And as I, as I wrote um, and kind of thought about that example, I realized, wait a second, God's already beat me to it. 
Jesus already beat me to it. One of the most famous scriptures in all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, is a story called the prodigal son. Some people were talking um, to Jesus and they were saying, um, man, I can't believe you accept all these people. I can't believe you accept sinners and all that stuff. Think about it. People criticize Jesus because he accepted everyone. And now people say, man, God doesn't accept everyone. What changed? Nothing changed. It's just the understanding and our culture that's changed. And, And they look at God and they look at Jesus and they say, man, you shouldn't talk to those people. You shouldn't deal with those people. And so Jesus decides, I'm going, to show, I'm going to tell you a story. He tells a story about a shepherd and sheep. He tells a story about a woman and some coins. And then he tells the most famous, famous story. He says, there was a father, and he had two sons. And the youngest son, who deserved nothing, didn't deserve the inheritance, any of that. He had this loving family. He had everything he needed. It seemed like the family had plenty of means, plenty of money, plenty of food, all that kind of stuff. But they had rules. They, they, had, they had responsibilities on, on, in the home. He said, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to deal with you, Dad. You know what? In fact, I basically wish you were dead. Just give me your stuff. I want your stuff. And you can imagine the father's like, "Ah, come on, come on, be be rational here. Come on, think. I love you, son. I love you. I love you. And eventually he just gives it. He's like, okay, go. Take the stuff and go. This boy goes off and he goes to a distant land and he spends it on everything, spends it on prostitutes, spends it on drugs and parties and, and all that kind of stuff, all on himself. And he finds himself in a pig pen one day with no food to eat, covered in muck, thinking, I wish I was just a servant in my dad's house. What was I thinking? Why did I choose to run away from love? Why did I choose to go the opposite direction? He says, I'm going back to my dad's house. And so he comes back to his dad's house and it says that the father saw him while he was a long way off. How many days in a row did the dad get up on on a morning, stand on his porch and look out and look for his son? How many days in a row did he think, maybe today's the day my son's coming back? And what did he expect when he came back? He knew what would happen when he came back. He knew the only reason he would come back is because he had lost all the money the dad had earned, all the money that the dad had given him. He knew the situation. It wasn't like his son was coming back saying, oh, I invested all your money and I got you twice as much. No, he knew what was coming back. A boy who wanted his mommy and daddy. And even despite that, as he sees the boy a long way off, it says the the father ran to the son. And the son starts saying, okay, I just want to be, I want to be a servant here. I want to be, I just want to, I know I've messed up. And he wasn't interested in any of it. See, the father wasn't interested and fair. He didn't want fair. He wanted forgiveness. He wanted to take his boy in his arms and he says, hey, guys, bring out the feast. Bring out the, 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 the fatted calf. Bring out the drinks. Bring, bring all my neighbors and all the, all the family out. And we are going to have a party because I thought my son was dead, but now he is alive. I mean, I thought he ran away and he chose something else, but now he has chosen to come back. And Jesus said, this is what God looks like. This is what your heavenly father looks like. Man, we choose sin and we choose hell, but he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't say, okay, I guess they went the other direction. He is a God that looks on us every day, willing just that one more will come. The Bible says repeatedly he is willing that none should perish. He accepts all people. He loves all people. He died for all people, but we are the ones that have to choose whether to go to him or away from him. Ultimately, we choose heaven and we choose hell. But God looks upon us with love and wants to be in a relationship with us. So for some of you in this room, I know that um, 
this is something that, that, that has kind of, kind of just convicted you, that God has kind of just been working on your heart, and, you, and you're thinking, man, man, I want that. I want that. And so if that's you, I want to give you the opportunity to give your life over to Christ. I want you to give, give you the opportunity to walk back home. Man, you've made some choices maybe you shouldn't have made. You've gone a direction. Maybe you've been choosing a path that would lead into um, an eternal hell, an eternity apart from God where you wanted that. But maybe you hear, gosh, I want something different today. I want to follow after that kind of God. So if that's you, we're going to have everybody bow our heads, close our eyes. We're going to give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you choose God, you will spend eternity with God. If you choose God, you will spend eternity apart from sin. If you choose God, he will change your life and your eternity. He wants to give you forgiveness. So if that's you, if you want to give your life over to Christ, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want you to remember the moment you said yes to Jesus. Remember the moment you raised your hand and said, yes, I want to follow you. I want to come back to my, to my loving Father's warm embrace. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, he's waiting for you. And he's willing that none should perish. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Your heart's beating. You're thinking about it. I don't want to raise my hand. Nobody's watching. It's between you and God. Raise your hand if that's you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I'm yours. I know I've messed up. I know I've chosen some things I shouldn't have chosen. But I want to redirect my life and follow you. I confess you are the Son of God, that you died and were buried and rose again on the third day. I want to follow after you. I surrender my life to you. Be the Lord of my life. In your name I pray. Amen.